0: Alright everybody! How we doing?
1: Woo! The crowd wild!
0: <laughs>
1: it only took us like nine months to get that reaction. <laughs> yes! Thank you for participating. As we all genuinely laughed. He said something genuinely funny we all laughed at. Yeah. Yeah. See how he's reinforcing that should be, genuine be genuinely funny, funny next time. I need to be genuinely funny <laughs> <by> next time. <laughs> yeah, I uh yeah, I don't care how I get my laps, if I demand them or if they happen naturally. I don't care. I think I'm funny. <laughs> Alright, well uh, on that note, uh Kevin, take it away. Alright. Alright, please open your Bibles to Romans eight.
2: Eight. I mean, uh, chapter eight, verse twelve. In all. One, three, one, twelve. Verse oh, twelve. Okay. Yeah, you've you got an original. It's an original edition. Oh So the In the name <laughs> of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So then, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning with labor pains together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we, await. we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that in everything God works for good, with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here, not only here for this class tonight, but here in so close proximity to Easter. This, We are groaning in anticipation for the celebration of the death and resurrection of your son, because it is what gives us our hope. It is what brings us together as Christians binds us together as family, and binds us to your family as children of God. We ask that you send your spirit down on us and bless us this evening. Fill our hearts to overflowing with your grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, I love St. Paul. Um, I know what we've, we've read Romans 8 before. Um, it's been a couple months, though. Um, This is, just a reminder, this is like St. Paul's like masterwork. Like this is the original systematic theology of the church. Because St. Paul, he, all the other letters that he wrote were to communities he founded. And so they are kind of like, hey, I heard what's going on with you guys. Um, Let me, you know, fix things. With um, the letter to the Romans, he's trying to introduce himself to the community that already exists in Rome. And so he's basically saying... This is everything I know. Like he is preaching to them so that they know that he is a true apostle, that he is, you know, he truly knows his stuff. Which means that it is just a gold mine for understanding Paul's theology. Um, and especially this section here in Romans 8. It I mean, there's so much here about what we are all aiming at. Like what is the purpose of this Christian life? What is the purpose of of what we are trying to do, but also how God helps us and what his plan for us is. Um, and I thought it was a particularly appropriate here. You know, when we look at verse 22 about how creation is burning with labor pains, but also when we think about how close we are to Easter, this is the same thing for all of you in the class. Like we are kind of like we're in labor pains. This is the end of our C.I.A. Here, we are ready, right? Um, this, there's just something amazing. I'm, I'm glad that you shared this journey with us. Keep coming. And, um, it's just awesome. All right, oh, Jaz. All right, let's do it. Groupy group. Here we go.
1: I'm gonna go there. Come okay. on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the double
2: whammy. The double. Whammy. <laughs> You're not a real <laughs> doctor. All right,
1: let's dive in. Let's do this. So I, um, I wanted to start. <laughs> I want to echo what Kevin said at the very beginning, I just uh, I just can't believe that we're coming to like to the end here, I just can't believe that, I don't know, like, I don't know if this has felt fast to you, yes. has it felt fast? Yes, this this has just felt like a blink, I don't know. Yeah. You know, the three years that we've done this, this just feels like boom, I don't know, it's been awesome, it's just been so awesome, this community has been awesome, you guys have been awesome, the conversation has been awesome, It's, um, yeah, it's been really, really good. And I'm just so grateful because it just Monday nights have been so fun for me. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been fabulous. Um, yeah. So I want to take, uh, I want to take a a year in review. So like, okay, we're gonna go back. So, um, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet... There's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Anybody know where that's from? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody know? Yeah. Uh, okay, the just <laughs> Frodo is oh. kind of a dead giveaway, yeah. right? Yeah, I um, this is this is this is us. This is us on our journey back in September. Um, yeah, so I want to recap for us real quick. It's been we've we've done a lot. The uh, this quote is where we started the year. You do not join the Catholic Church, you become a Catholic. It's not about membership, it's about relationship, it's about becoming a something new, which is what you saw in this reading tonight, about becoming a something, not just signing up for a something, right? It's not just like signing up for T-Ball, it's, it's becoming a new kind of being in the world. As Kevin read in that reading from Romans, it's about becoming something new, a whole new creation. And this RCIA program that we kind of put together, this whole idea was the... Um, we wanted to issue invitation to not just simply evaluate the church from the outside, but to allow you to step into the life and the mind and the heart of the church, which you can only really evaluate it from within. You know, the, um, Just like our parish, just like any Gothic cathedral, just like any church, it looks weird from the outside. The stained glass windows, they look weird from the outside, but only on the inside are they fully illuminated. Does it make sense? So this whole year has been an invitation, like echoing the words of Jesus, come and see, come and see, come and become one who sees, step inside, take a look. And this is where we started, we started the year right here, with the heart, with this image, restless hearts in a restless world, this whole idea of, uh, we began this year with, with our longing for the infinite, our longing for, for something to fill the God-shaped hole and this recognition that there is no God-shape sitting around in this world. And we have this restless longing, this, uh, this yearning, right? That God himself is the answer to my deepest yearnings and desires. And, and the thing is, if, if we went through this entire year and somehow we missed this point, that, um, that if Jesus is not the answer to my heart's deepest yearning for love, for satisfaction, for fullness of life, if Jesus is somehow not the answer to that question, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I want a different job. You shouldn't sign up. You shouldn't do, You shouldn't go through with this. But if Jesus is the answer to that question, if he is the answer to our hearts' questions, that makes all the difference. So we started the year with that and then we moved into this whole idea of, of prayer. That that RCIA, it's not about learning new ideas. It's about, uh, about a person, right? Christian initiation, it's not about membership. It's about relationship. And at the end of the year here, we wanted you to have a deeper relationship with Jesus and with the church that he established. That that being a Christian is the result of not ideas, but an encounter with a person and falling deeper in love with that person and living in relationship with that person, right? Heaven is the eternal marriage. This life is the engagement. It's the, it's the betrothal period. And, and being a Christian is being a one who is betrothed to a love that is real, that is so compelling and beautiful. So from there, we talked about how do you develop a sort of consistent and Catholic prayer life. We talked about Lectio Divina soaking in the Word of God, the revelation of God, that the Scripture is not just a word for us to like, read and study. It's a word for us to soak in and pray. Before, it was, before Bibles were carried into Bible studies, Bibles were books of prayer, right? They were books of prayer. So we wanted to develop a consistent and Catholic prayer life. So this is why every, every week you've been looking at those Sunday readings and doing Lectio Divina. And this faith, out of this relationship with Jesus, has born the most beautiful faith, the most beautiful art, the most beautiful architecture. It's a faith of unsurpassed beauty. Right? Love wants to express itself in beauty, whether it's in dancing or singing or cards or movies or sculpture or whatever. Love wants to express itself in beauty, and beauty matters for the Catholic. Beauty matters in our worldview because our God is a God who became flesh. He became the icon the image. He became an image, right? So our Jesus, who is the most beautiful, reveals his, like, the depth of his beauty precisely in his agony and his self-giving love that we'll see and witness on Good Friday, right? So this faith of unsurpassed beauty also is the faith that has inspired the greatest contribution to civilization. This was the, uh, this was the, 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 the night where we looked at the way in which those who live in relationship with Jesus have generated a whole new kind of way of being in the world. Like, it's, it's a Christian way of being. It's a way of being that has affected everything, right? The, the Everything that we, like, treasure and value as a civilization has its roots in Christianity in many ways. So then uh, we had a night where Kevin gave us a brilliant overview of just Catholicism 101. We were coming to to grapple with some basic fundamental issues, fundamental ideas that are... Um, part of the sort of intellectual framework of being Catholic. We talked about some, like, the relationship between the Bible and the church and uh, how that all relates to to the liturgy and all of that stuff. So then we talked about how um, that God exists, we can know by reason, but for us to know that God, he has to disclose himself. It's a story of, it's a love story. It's this unfolding sharing of the heart of God. And that first revelation is the Old Testament, and that revelation is the Scriptures, right? And the church is the guardian of that revelation. Jesus Himself is the pinnacle of that revelation. He is the perfect sermon of what God wanted to say. He is everything that the Father wanted to disclose to us. And Jesus, He reveals not just simply the Father, but He also reveals the Holy Spirit. The Lord, He reveals that God is one, but He's triune, right? And that triune God is etched into our Bodiliness as human beings, that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Not just in our individual humanity, in our intellect and in our will, we are. But as John Paul II says, man became the image of God, not so much in the moment of solitude, Adam by himself, but in the moment of communion, when he wakes up and he gazes upon Eve, right? And the two become one flesh. Our bodiliness is the Trinity stamped into time. It's the the, the the triune love song transposed into an earthly key. How's that, man? Is that good? Musical? Okay, all right, moving on. All right. So that was the original play, but things didn't stay that well. It didn't, didn't, they didn't stay that way. We have the, the great drama of this love story is that there was a great divorce, a great rupture, and the Lord is a mad lover who's in love with us, who comes after us, and this is where we begin to look at this salvation history, this story of God breaking open his heart to be in relationship with us. We see it in the Old Testament, tying into the New Testament. That's what typology is. And he's gluing us back together in covenants, right? And then we looked at that whole story. We looked at this rescue mission, looking at like the story from Adam to Noah to Abram to Moses to David to Christ, this journey along this mountain range to look at how God has been Expanding this covenant relationship, drawing humanity back into relationship with him. Right? This is what this is the story. This is the great story. And all along there is a like it's moving towards humanity saying this great yes to God. Because the, the whole drama began with a great no. The restoration has to begin with a great yes. And Mary is humanity's great yes to God. She's his masterpiece, she's the Immaculate One. She's the assumed queen. She's the eternal virgin mother. She's all of these things, right? She is our great yes to the Father. She's our cooperation with the divine will. And what she did, every single one of us has to do, right? She is the exemplar of the church. What happened to her at the Annunciation happens to the church at Pentecost. The church is the continuation in time of the Marian mystery. The church is the bearer of Christ to the world. The church is feminine because Mary is the archetype of receptivity. She's the one who opens herself to receive the the Word and to bear it forth. And every single one of us, in our call to holiness, this is what we're called to. Mary's the great burning bush. We are these little burning bushes. She's the great yes, we're little yeses. What she did, we have to do. We are called to cooperate into this. This is what we are made for. This is our destiny, right? And all of this speaks to the fact that God became flesh. So as Catholics, the fleshiness, the materiality of the world matters. Our sacramental worldview that God speaks and communicates through stuff, through through lecterns and tables and water and candles and art and icons and all of it. It matters. The stuff matters. Jesus is the great sacrament, but He's given us several sacraments. Seven, right? Sacraments that bond us into relationship, beginning with baptism, leading to confirmation and Eucharist. These sacraments of initiation, they're coupled with the sacraments of healing, reconciliation, and anointing. And all of these sacraments are opportunities for heaven to be glued to earth. And they culminate in this sacrament. This sacrament, but this is also a great sacrament. (laughs) These two. celibacy, marriage, and, uh, and, and religious life, this is the way we are conformed to the self-giving love of Jesus, right? And all of these sacraments are fueled by the Eucharist, which is not a what, it's a who, right? That we are conformed, we literally consume every Mass, we consume at every Mass perfect spousal love. We are conformed to perfect spousal love, so that we can go forth and live perfect spousal love. And spousal, of course, doesn't just simply mean like marital or sexual. It means donative, self-giving, self-emptying. That's what we were made for. All of this is available in the Mass. The Mass is the greatest thing on earth. It's also the most mundane thing in the world. The Mass is the privileged encounter with Jesus, the bridegroom. It's an incredible moment of romance. It's the Song of Songs. It's Calvary. It's the Last Supper. It's the New Jerusalem. All in the same moment. And we spend time with this God who is all-merciful. That's who God is. The authentic tone of God's voice is mercy. Why? Because He's the humblest of all. He's the poorest of all. And He hides Himself in the weakest of all, the most fragile of all. And all of this, the way that he approaches us is it's to eventually get us to say yes. To say yes now, to say yes for eternity. All of the Christian life, it just conduces down to God getting down on one knee saying, will you spend eternity with me? And our job is to say yes. Our job is to say yes. You see, I wanted to show you guys, I wanted to invite you into this just this incredible vision of the church, of Catholicism. I, In the limited time that we have, I know we've had all of these many months. We've had an hour and a half each session, all of this stuff. There was so much more that we could have talked about and probably maybe should have talked about. I don't know. We'll talk about that after Easter. But I wanted you guys to see, and I wanted you to perceive first the beauty of this faith so that you would sense the goodness of this faith and then yearn to... Attune yourself to this truth. That you would perceive the goodness, that you would yearn for, that you would perceive the beauty, yearn for the goodness, and a hunger to align your life according to the truth. That right there is is Catholic morality in a nutshell. It's it's aligning myself entirely to the truth of reality and the truth of my being. It's not the stereotypical right? Do's and don'ts, thou shalts and thou shalt nots. In fact, the, cate- the catechism section on morality, it begins with, like, the title is called Life in Christ. And the very first sentence is, Christian, know your dignity. <laughs> it's not Christian. Here's a list of rules for you to follow. It's Christian. Know your dignity. Know who you are, right? It's not this. Anybody know who this is? <laughs> Was it Satan? Yeah. Data Carvey's church lady, right? Does uh, anybody not know who this character is from? SNL? I, I got So Data Carvey played this like very puritanical, very like Manichean, angry, heretical church lady who had taken calls from, uh, taking questions from callers and she just like hated, I don't know, like the body and anything sensual and Blame everything on, hmm, I wonder who it could be. Was it Satan? <laughs> <laughs> this is, I think, many people's image of like Christian morality that it's just like, mm, it's all bad, it's all bad. If it feels good, don't do it. It's probably from Satan, right? I don't know why they're always like Southern. I, 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 I shouldn't do that. <laughs> But this is like, I, like, when our conversation, my conversation with teens, when I teach them all the time, this, this conversation, them wanting to know, like, how far is too far, right? Like with my girlfriend, how far is too far, right? This is the question all the time. We were talking about this last week. Was, it, was this last week? I don't yeah. know. Me. I don't know. But the question, how far is too far? And I always say, like, that's the wrong question, right? It's, it's like basically saying, it's like, t- tell me, like, the lowest limit that I can get away with with still being good. Like, what's the most sin I can get away with, with, like, just being like, okay, you know? It's not the right question, right? Christian, the Christian moral life is not primarily about rules or boundaries, just like speaking is not just primarily about grammar and, and uh, semantics. It's, it's, those are important. You, you won't have a language without it, right? You won't have a, a life of flourishing without rules, but um, it's so much more than that. Soccer is not just simply about boundary lines and not using your hands, I it's it's so much more than that, right? I hope you all know that, right? So, morality, Christian morality is about authentic human flourishing, which we've read about, which we watch. Like, I, I want us to be drilled into this vision here. It's about human flourishing. It's about becoming what we were made to become, achieving what we were made to achieve, and like arriving at the finish line that we were meant to arrive at. There's a something we're supposed to be, Right? It's about becoming beatified, becoming the kind of creatures that, we, that can withstand for all eternity the blazing, blinding glory of the beatific vision. That's an amazing thing, that we get to be that kind of thing for eternity. Nothing else will. Nothing else will, only human beings. Right? Like it comes down to this. If there is a definitive end, a definitive destination... No, if there is not, that's what I'm going to say. If there is not a definitive end, if there is not a definitive destination, then all of our choices are equally valid. All of our preferences, all of our behaviors are equally valid if there's no destination, right? Like when I pull out of the parking lot tonight or tomorrow morning out of the church on Coventry, should I turn left or right?
0: Definitely right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It's nice left. It's nice left. I think right's better. Should I, should I, I turn left on the cedar or right on the cedar? Depends
1: on depends where, where you're going. going. Right. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it depends on where I'm going. If I'm going to Nighttown, I should probably turn left. If I'm going to Piata, I should go right, right? If I have a destination, it matters. There, if, there is a definitive destination, right? There is a something that we are meant to become. There's a something we are meant to so we can say and it's not judgmental it's not it's not being like close-minded or hateful to say that there are some choices that do not promote our flourishing that do not bring us closer to that destination we can say that some choices are wrong ways it doesn't mean that they are wrong but they are wrong ways right uh, I want to show you a clip anybody seen um, the well just we'll just watch it. Wants to race.
3: Don't race. That's ridiculous.
1: All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go.
3: Put your window down.
2: He wants something. Uh, he's probably drunk. You're
0: going the wrong
3: way. What? You're going the wrong way. He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's
2: drunk. How about he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you, thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank
3: you!
0: (laughs) What a moron. You're going in the wrong direction! You're going to kill somebody! Going the wrong way. What? What? Why? (laughs)
1: And that's the world. Need we say more? Yeah. So, yeah, like, you can see them saying, like, I, you're, you're going the wrong way. Like, who are you to tell me I'm going the wrong way? Just, you idiot. You drinking. You stupid, right? No. Anyway, all right. So uh, I asked Kevin to talk a little bit about um, this whole concept for us.
0: Okay.
2: Go, Kevin, go. Yeah. <coughs> so... The top word on there are the economy of salvation. So economy um, comes from the Greek words oikos and nomos, which means home and law, right? So this idea of how the household is organized is really what economy is, means. Now when we talk about an economy of salvation, it has this idea that this is, there's a purpose to all of this. There's an end. Um, one way we can think about it is through, like, Aristotle liked to, you know, this ancient philosopher who was an important influence on Aquinas, Talked about four causes. And that there's the material, efficient, formal, (coughs) and final cause. And this is what's really important when it comes to this idea of exodus and redditus, is the final cause. There's an end towards which we are made. There's a purpose where we are going. That destination is determined. Meaning that um, when God created the world, it was this what we call this exodus, right? It's this emanation. God created the world, like he spoke and the world came into being. Everything flowed out from God, and then the reditus is how we get back to God. We fell, you know, through the you know, the garden and the bad choice of Adam and Eve, and we are trying to return to God, which means that we have that destination in mind. God is where He is, right? We're trying to make our way back there, um, and this this path, this idea of Exodus and Redditus, this emanation and return is actually reflective of who God is. It's part of the nature of God. So we think about, you know, like we emanate from God the Father, and the mission of the Spirit and the Son is to help us return. So it is actually part of this dance that we were talking about, of the endless dance of the, the persons of the Trinity. Flowing out of there is this idea of salvation, how we're supposed to return. And what this... And this shows up, not only in our lives, like um, St. Thomas Aquinas, when he wrote his Summa, he organized his Summa in the manner to show this exodus and Redditus. So he begins with the nature of God. Like, we start at the very beginning, does God exist? And then uh, that's in the Prima Pars, and then the um, Suguna Pars, the second part, he talks about the moral law. So like, natural law and law and morality. And then in the third part, which seems weird, like we start with Christ, right? No, he ends with Christ in the sacraments and salvation, because we fell... God created us and we fell, and then we have to start living moral lives, and we do this through the power of the Spirit, and then we are glorified and completed in this return. This is what enables us through Christ and his sacraments. Right? And so this movement of going out and coming back is actually the path that we must be on. This is our end. This is how we are we were made and this is God's plan all along. This isn't a backup plan. God didn't say, Oh no, they screwed up now i'm going to go. have to save them. This is always the plan to bring us back in a better relationship and this return brings us into even higher heights than we had in Maine, right? This relationship we have, becoming sons and daughters of God, being part of his family is not something that happened in the garden. We were created and now we actually join his family. Oh,
1: that's great. Yeah. yeah, like the part of what I want to get across with this is, is this idea that um, mm-hmm. So Thomas Aquinas gives us this, this model, this idea, this, this conceptual, I guess, yeah, model to describe the fact that we, we come from God and we are returning to God. At least that's where we ought to return to. Um, to answer the question, how ought I live, what ought I do, uh, you have to have these two answers to, like this is from the Catechism, that where do we come from and where are we going? These two questions are inseparable. They are decisive for the meaning And orientation, which is such a great word for this, orientation of our life and actions. Without these two questions, we are disoriented, right? Which is a horrible feeling. I hate being lost. I don't know what I would do without, like, my phone or GPS. I get disoriented very fast. I don't have that, like, part of the brain where you're like, uh, north. You know, like, I'm I'm very bad at directions you have to know where you come from and where you're going to know how, you're, how you are supposed to be oriented in life, right? So this exitus and readytus, this is so, so, so important, right? That um, that this is how we understand the Catholic morality. This is how we understand Catholic morality, which if you look at these two questions, we have spent so much time diving deeply into the where do we come from? We've done, And we've Doven? What's the word? Dived? Dove? We have delved, that's it. We have delved deeply into this other question of where we are going, like our destiny, what we are made for. All of this is to serve as the, the sort of setup for this night where we're answering how, we're, how we ought to live, right? So part of this, we have to ask the question, what defines our return home? How do we, how do we make this return? How do we become what we were made to be, Right? tadpoles, they don't ask this question. Little little ducklings, they don't ask this question. Kittens don't ask this question. They just become what they're meant to be. If you give enough food and water and you know, like, good room temperature, <laughs> those sorts of things, you know, right amount of gravity, they will just become what they're meant to be. There's no like, boy, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm a little pup. Maybe I'll be a, like that's not a thing. But human beings, we ask that question. So the way that we become what we are made to be, what defines that return is our use of freedom. So we have to talk about tonight, we have to talk about freedom. theme in tonight's... Uh, I don't know if you caught it. Alright, All right, so... We live in a culture that worships at the idol of freedom, but freedom gone berserk. Especially in our American culture. We love our freedom, and we prize it as like such an essential piece of our life, but we don't... We have a crazy concept of what freedom is today in our country. I just want to show you this. This is from Justice Anthony Kennedy in his in Supreme Court case versus Planned Parenthood. At the heart of liberty, the core, at the heart, right, of liberty, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, and of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Is there anything else that like, is like, left out of that? At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Like, man is apparently, according to the Supreme Court of the United States, a human being is apparently the sole arbiter of all meaning, of all truth, of all value, of all quality. Like, we are the ones who define, for everything else that exists, what is true, what is false, what is real, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. Right? That that line from, uh, I think it's Hamlet, Nothing is either bad nor good, but thinking makes it so. I think that's Hamlet. Anybody know? Is that Hamlet? I think it is. Yeah. And up to that, I just say, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, I love it. Yeah. All right. So
1: um, St. John Paul II visited the United States in 1982 to visit President Reagan. I love this picture. (laughs) What they were looking at. Or what he was thinking. Yeah, like, I think he was thinking, oh, really? But he gets off the plane, and uh, the president greets him. He says, Holy Father, welcome to the United States, the land of the free. And John Paul II goes, yes, but free for what? Sound like the Count from Sesame Street.
0: Yeah?
1: <laughs> One papal plane. <laughs> okay. So we have in our modern world, we have in our modern world two competing concepts of freedom. And we get these from these two people. One, St. Thomas Aquinas, the other is William of Ockham. He's a saint, and he is not a saint. From Thomas Aquinas, we get this idea of freedom for excellence. And from William of Ockham, we get this concept of freedom. Freedom of indifference. We're going to unpack these real quick because these are what are at play in our modern co- contemporary American culture especially. Freedom of indifference versus freedom for excellence, right? These are different concepts. So freedom of indifference, what really kind of marks this idea of freedom is that it's, freedom isn't ordered towards anything. It's, it's, what was that? Is that a smoke chapter? Oh, it's unhinged, it's, it's undirected from the true and the good. It's, it's not aiming at anything, right? It's, a, it's an archer without a target. All law, whether it's civil law or church law or whatever, uh, it's reduced to an external restraint upon my personal autonomy. All law is, is a confining of my freedom. The church serves the purpose of dispensing God's obligations and duties. Right. This is where we kind of inherit the concept of holy days of obligation. This is where, um, like, how far is too far? Kind of is like still operative in people's minds. Like, how much of a meal can I eat before it becomes not fasting? What percentage of meat am I allowed to have? Am I allowed to have beef broth? Right. Like, these are these are these questions. And at the end of the day, our freedom isn't for anything. We're just free to do whatever, become whatever, choose whatever. It's, it's just, we're just free, right? This is freedom of indifference versus freedom for excellence. Freedom is rooted in our natural inclination. We can call it attraction or natural appetite for. Our natural inclination towards the good and the true, which is another way of saying whatever appears perfective of our nature Whatever appears to us as something like, that will make me a better me. That will make my life fuller, richer, better, more beautiful. Right? Freedom must be developed and grown. It's, it's, it's It's a dynamic thing. It's not just a static power. It's something that's dynamic. You can become more free or you can become less free. And law is especially necessary in the first stage of moral development. Law is progressively interiorize. We're going to look at this in a second. And ultimately our freedom is for the purpose of guiding us towards our final destiny, towards holiness and wholeness. It's it's there's a target. There's a reason why there's a string on the bow. It's to shoot the arrow at its destiny. That's what the word destiny means. It's the archer's target. Right? Okay, so freedom of a difference versus Freedom for excellence. This is, um, yeah. This is a great. This is great. This guy right here is Survey Pincaros. He's he's a brilliant contemporary moral theologian. Um, it's a great quote. For Saint Thomas, freedom was rooted in the soul's. This is such a such a great word. Spontaneous inclinations to the true and good, rooted in man's natural constitution. Like it's how we're made. It's what we are. He was made by a creator who is himself the true and the good and who by his own design implanted in man a vector of aspiration. Like we are oriented in a direction. A fundamental orientation to stretch outwards consciously or unconsciously towards his ultimate fulfillment is ready to his end and destiny in God. There's just so much in that quote. It's so good. And the thing is, we can err in our, our thinking, we can err in our willing, we can err and latch on to falsities, thinking that, that these things are truths, or we can be drawn to apparent goods, thinking that they're actually good for us. But, um, like, our desires are not infallible. Our attractions, our natural inclinations, they're not infallible. We don't always latch our minds onto the truth. We don't always, like, go after the good we can err we can choose false things and and apparent goods right the thing is we want to be we want laws we want rules we want guidance whenever we perceive and desire some good or some excellence this is what i mean by this like when we want to learn karate we want a mr miyagi to teach us just how to flow off
0: mm-hmm.
1: right when we want to become a Jedi uh, master, we want a Yoda. We want, like we, we seek, we desire someone to discipline us, to confine us, to corral us, to constrict us, to help us internalize the skills so that we can become the thing that we want to be, right? Back in the ancient medieval world, when you didn't go to art school to become a painter, you would move in and you would become an apprentice with a master, someone who was a master of their craft, you would maybe spend years just learning how to mix the paints, how to how to make the blues and the browns and the reds and the yellows. You would learn how to make brushes, what kind of horse hair is the kind of perfect hair for the, the bristles. You would spend time in close proximity with this master, learning how they operate, learning how they live, catching them. Like, the, the quality of their craft. And over time, you begin to be introduced into maybe draftsmanship. And then eventually, maybe you're doing, like, like a little bit of, of canvas stretching and painting. And, and then eventually, you're doing your own works. But it's this slow interiorization of the craft, right? It takes time for this to get, like, into us. Brooke, you were talking about muscle memory, Right? I don't know how many, I don't, it's like thousands of repetitions to make something a muscle memory, but like it takes time for these things, for these virtues to get into us, right? This is our Bishop Baron here, Baron for Pope. Um, <laughs> so freedom consists in the disciplining of desire so as to make the achievement of the good first possible and then effortless, which is such a great quote, Right? How do you become a free piano player? How do you become a free speaker of a language? How did LeBron James become the freest player in the NBA by just playing and making sounds however you want to? No, by submitting yourself to the discipline of coaches and drills and practice over years, right? Okay, so I, I want to show you two examples of freedom of indifference. This is this is this is what freedom of indifference looks like. Anybody know? Um, what was Charles Barkley's main sport? Basketball. I'll give you a clue. It wasn't golf. It was basketball. basketball, right? Charles Barkley's never had um, a golf lesson in his life, but this is a man who loves golf and has one of the world's worst swings, right?
0: <laughs> okay, so let's just
1: watch what Freedom of a Difference looks like. Ha <laughs> a little
0: Freedom for Excellence. Uh, this is Roy Mapleboy, PGA
1: champion.
3: It's a beautiful setup right there. Look at how strong and how straight that back is. As
0: he turns away, everything loads behind the golf ball. Solid post on that right-hand side. And then as he turns through, he, he starts down, and the hips fire so far out of the way that right there at impact they're actually turning back toward the ball just slightly and it's it's like a recoil that generates so much more clubhead speed you can't do that at home but it's-
3: and here's another example of the flexibility you were talking about that Rory McIlroy has. Yeah, and he's ripped uh, physically, a lot of so muscles, so but he stretches those muscles. But watch the fall through. See how he drops it into the slot right here, and then right there is perfect. But watch where the club head ends up. And this is a little bit like a Michelle Wee father. Watch the club actually points at the target. It's so fall through. Wow, points at the target. Yeah, I know. I,
1: I don't look like that when I golf. <laughs> Freedom of indifference, freedom for excellence. See, like the church has, the church has do's and no's, right? That's just part of it, right? But these are not intrusive, like, restrictions to our freedom. They're not, um, it's not like killjoy moments, right? They are the very condition for the possibility of true freedom. When the church says no, the no is guarding some great yes. When the church says no, she's guarding some great yes, some... Like, you think you want this, but what you really want is, is this. You don't know that you really want it. You're reaching for an apparent good. She's helping us to choose the thing that we, in fact, actually are hungering for. So, and the part of the thing, too, is that the church, when she speaks, is it's in the tone of a mother. Mater Ecclesia. The church's mother, right? So when the, the, a mother is shouting at her children, like, don't run in the streets! Don't touch that. It's hot. It's not like it's not mean. It's, it's it might be expressed in a tone that's like sudden and harsh and like whoa what, but it's protecting something good. It's 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 a it's a loving tone, right? So here's the thing, right? One of the biggest areas where people struggle with the, with Catholic morality is is in terms of sexual morality, right? Nobody's really upset about the church's moral teachings about stealing, about just war, about the rights and duties of employers and employees. and No one gets really upset about our ideas of subsidiarity and like a preferential option for the poor. No one really takes offense at that kind of stuff. It's, it's the church's teaching on sexual morality that catch a lot of flack. And this is where I would say the area, this is the area where people, like the misunderstanding is probably the greatest because the call is probably the hardest. It demands a lot of us, right? This goes back to everything we've been talking about, that if sexuality is so significant, then it would it would make sense that it's it's an area where there is such great confusion, right? The church isn't a killjoy. The church doesn't want couples to, like, not enjoy their sexual lives. The church wants people to be flourishing and happy, right? So this is, I want to show you a clip from um, a lecture from Christopher West. It's about, it's particularly about the virtue of chastity, right? This is, this is, one of those virtues that is, I think is very misunderstood and important for us. What we need is a long-term training
3: in the virtue called chastity. Oh man, do we ever have to rehabilitate this word? This word has been so maligned, so rejected, so put down. We hear the word chastity and we think, Just one big no. And we think, oh my gosh, to do things the chaste way, to do things the, quote, moral way, boy, doesn't that just cut down spontaneity? Doesn't that take away all the fun? Well, I'm feeling spontaneous right now, and so I think I'll play the piano. Is that all right with you guys? Yeah, I'm just feeling spontaneous. So... I'm just going to spontaneously play. Ready? <laughs> you hypocrites.
0: <laughs>
3: Did you really think that was worth applauding? In fact, this is very telling. This is what we're doing as a culture. We are applauding meaningless noise. Anybody can get up to a piano and bang on it and make meaningless noise. Does anybody here play the piano? Like actually, Sean, is your name? Sean. Would you be willing to? Yeah. Go for it. Let's see what Sean can do on the piano. some lessons, huh? Uh, I imagine there are times when you were taking your lessons that, I don't know, maybe your friends are outside playing and you wish you could have gone and played, but you had to discipline yourself, right? You had to make some sacrifices, right? To learn how to play the piano. Did you not? Would you say those sacrifices were worth it? Would we say those sacrifices were worth it? This is a really, really pertinent analogy Would we rather make beautiful music or make meaningless noise? But behind this beautiful music, years and years of sacrifice, discipline, training. That's chastity. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. Give Sean a hand. Now, you might be saying to yourself, oh, Christopher, uh, uh, how am I ever going to get there? I mean, uh, I've just been made, I've seen what you're saying here, and so much of what I've been doing is just meaningless noise. What, what, what do I do? <clears throat> Anybody, any human being with two minutes of instruction can do this. <phone rings> Not a concert pianist, but even the concert pianist started with "Mary Had a Little Lamb." So, accept where you are on the journey of learning how to make beautiful music, so to speak, and stick with it. Stay with it. So
1: good, right? Such a good analogy. Another Surveys Pinkers quote. Ready tos, the return, all about the return. Ready tos is moral theology. We are called in our freedom to become something more by responding to God who created us for himself, acknowledging that on our own we cannot achieve the end for which we were made. Sainthood, eternal happiness, life unending with God. Only by cooperating with grace are we conformed to his image until we at last fully resemble that image in glory. We are made for, like, such glory. It's, it's, we are made for such a beautiful end. We just simply have to choose it. We have to say yes to it. I'm going to quote myself. (laughs) We become progressively freer, fuller, happier, holier, more human and more divine, the more that we order our desires according to our design to achieve our destiny. I'm basically saying everything that he said just in my own words, but I wanted a quote on the end. <laughs> we the end of all things here. We started the year with this image. This was one of the very first slides you saw. That uh, This image of this guy in this field somewhere stretching his hand out to the heavens just like as if trying to wrap his arms around the universe, around the stars, right? And I, I couldn't think of a better image to kind of wrap our journey up with than this image. We're not done yet. We still have more to do, but before Easter, before the Easter mysteries, this is kind of where things are drawn to a close. You know, Jesus didn't propose his hard teachings until he lived the life of discipleship with his followers, right? Right? The the Catholic morality, the whole idea of how how we ought to live, it doesn't make sense until you've heard everything else that we've gone through this year. Why should I submit myself to this? Well, because of all of this, right? Because of our origin, because of our destiny, because of our hearts. And I just want to invite us to just take a few seconds and just like let your eyes rest on this image. This is the properly ordered person. Everything else but this person in this image is mortal. As we talked about last week. Except for him. Everything else in this image is finite. Except for that heart of his that is infinite. And if you can even begin to imagine all the beauty, all the glory, all the grandeur of every star in every sky, every blade of grass, every flower petal, every song, every eyelash of every newborn child, all of that beauty is just a small little appetizer, small little teeny little foretaste to the great big capital B beauty that awaits us. If we would but open ourselves up to it and receive it. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You've given us desires for fullness, for life, for beauty, for friendship, for communion, for intimacy. And desires so big that we can hardly stand it. Sometimes we're so afraid of how big these desires are, and so we squash them, we squelch them. We hide them, we settle for, icon, for idols instead of icons. Lord, we rebuke the idols of our life tonight, knowing that you have made us for yourself. We rebuke the false infinities of our life tonight, knowing that we were made for the infinite. We rebuke the lie that we won't be satisfied. As you say, Come to me, all you who hunger and who are thirsty. Drink. And you will be satisfied. Lord, as we enter into these final days of preparation before the Easter mysteries, we ask you to dilate our hearts, to make us yearn, to make us pine and pant after you, to make us hunger for the bread of angels. Jesus, you are the satisfaction we are seeking. As we go forth from here tonight, help us see you in every blade of grass, in every face, in every encounter, so that until one day we stand before you face to face, unveiled and born, we make this prayer in your mighty and holy and glorious name, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woo! So, next week, um, we are still coming together, but we are getting ourselves ready for the Triduum. The Triduum is the three days of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Um... Monday night we'll gather, we'll gather down here. Uh, please bring your sponsors if they're able to come, because we're going to be unpacking the, uh, especially with holy with holy Saturday, kind of walking you through some of the expectations and for those of you who are being baptized, um, kind of what's what uh, what you need to know, especially. Um, yeah, so uh, be here next week for sure. If you cannot be here next week, please 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 let me know, um, and. Uh, Yeah, if you have any questions or fears or concerns, anything coming up in this next week or so, um, don't be surprised if you're experiencing temptation or fear or anything just resisting, pushing back on you. Um, Because there is an enemy. and He doesn't want you to go through with this. Right? It's true. Um, So, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to each other, to call, to text, to ask for prayers. Uh, Don't be afraid to pop into the church at any point throughout the week to just have a few moments of quiet of stillness with the Lord. We got an adoration on Wednesday night um, in the side chapel, like we did a few weeks ago. So make use of that if you'd like. And um,
2: we'll have our last dismissal at the 9 a.m. on Sunday.
1: Palm Sunday.
2: What? Saint Anne's,
1: St. yes. Yeah.
0: Well, what time is that adoration? On Wednesday? Seven,
1: seven to seven. eight, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, it's seven to eight. Okay. Seven to eight. Yeah, okay, all right, we'll see you guys Sunday and Monday.